Hey guys, Pete here. I just wanted to give you all a quick heads up that unfortunately we are still dealing with audio issues for this episode. I know, it's episode 5, here we go again, right? Um, you're going to notice that my mic specifically a lot cuts out mid-sentence at the beginning of sentences, so there's going to be a lot of awkward pauses. Uh, I feel like we're getting closer to finding what the solution is, um, and it really, really is hopefully going to be ironed out by the next episode. It just keeps cropping up. We tried recording on Skype, and I could not hear Bovine because he sounded like a robot, like, actually inaudible. So we switched to Discord about five minutes in, which you'll notice the change in audio quality. Uh, And then my mic was cutting out. So anyway, I hope you can still enjoy the episode. Hang in there for episode six, where hopefully we have this all resolved. And anyway, apologies again, and I hope you enjoy the episode. So, Pete, how does it finally feel to get your retro USB... What is it? Retro AVS unit in. How does it feel to get it in finally and play some NES games? The retro USB... Retro USB. NES. Retro AVS. Yeah, retro USB puts it out. And then it's the NES AVS, which I have had on pre-order for about a year now. I pre-ordered it pretty much right when I got back from Portland Retro Gaming Expo last year. Um, So it it was a long wait. As many people know, because I've been stacking up a collection of NES games over the past year in anticipation of this moment. And I have to say, it was so worth the wait. Like, this thing is absolutely gorgeous. Because, you know me, I, I play and I stream all my retro games on an HDTV just because it's the most convenient thing for me. I just don't have the setup in the space to have a CRT as well as my HDTV to be able to streaming on both of them. So I unfortunately have to have the handicap of playing my retro stuff on HDTV. So to be able to play a retro console like the NES on an HDTV and have that thing look absolutely beautiful, like, I'm so happy with it. Um, I would, you know, I just want to say I'm not sponsored by Retro USB here, but I would (laughs) highly recommend that anybody that is an NES fan, um, if you're looking for something that... Now, I don't know the tech, like the tech specifics behind this, but it doesn't emulate uh, hardware and it doesn't emulate software. I could be wrong on that, but from what I understand, this thing is pretty much... Do you know the, the, the techie side behind that bovine, like what this thing is actually doing? Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing about the retro USB AVS system is that it actually... It's using something called um, FPGA chip-on design. And what that really means is that they've designed hardware chips. They've custom-made hardware chips... To basically act and, you know, perform exactly as the original hardware chips are doing. It's kind of a strange thing. It's almost, you know, whereas in most machines that, <clears throat> most of these clone machines for NES games, they just have processors in there that are basically translating code, right? In, in the terms of running ROMs. So it was, a lot of them are popular, like the Retron, like the Retron 5. All it is is an, it's an Android based hardware system that's, Using software purely to emulate the games. Whereas in this, where in the case of the retro U, uh, retro, I don't know why the hell I keep calling it that, the retro <laughs> USB AVS. In terms of the AVS, what they did is they actually sat down and they designed custom hardware chips to function and basically read cartridges exactly the way the original does. So it's basically like hardware emulation, which is kind of a strange way of doing it, right? Cause we're, we're so used to seeing software emulation, regular, it's the regular kind of emulation you see here, but on this device specifically, designing custom hardware chips to act and perform and do the same thing that the original hardware chips were. Mm-hmm. So that way that the cartridges, you know, they don't, of course, the tra- cartridges and software themselves, they don't see anything different when they're plugged into the AVS. And on the back end, the hardware side is just essentially, you know, more advanced chips 
that are basically being told to do exactly what the original chips do. So it's really kind of interesting tech. And I was really, I mean, I was, I wasn't too, too surprised at the quality once you started streaming it because I'd been reading reviews about it and how it worked. And I assumed that it was going to be doing good, but I guess, I mean, it, it was, it looked really good on your stream though, I have to say. So I didn't know if you noticed any issues in terms of, like the things that I was worried about was how it would reproduce like certain sound effects. Like, cause I've heard the only thing it might be doing a little bit inconsistently is some of the sound playback. And that's only because the NES had some very strange sound hardware to begin with. So maybe that's part of it, but I couldn't tell any differences, honestly, with the games you tried. See, now that is a big concern of mine because one day I would like to own a cart of gimmick for the Famicom. And that game uses, um, what is it like the two channel what what, what is it what do they refer to there's like 7B. extra sound chips and gimmick right sunsoft 7b is what they call it i think As, so what is it a handful of games on the nes and famicom that sort of had like extra essentially to make the game's music sound like way better than it should on an nes well there was two types right there were there were certain games that they just added additional sound hardware to so the most famous is castlevania 3 they have that vr6 I think audio chip. Then you have the Sunsoft using 7B sound channels. And then on the Famicom disc system, there was a bunch of additional audio that they were using there. So I was always, I know there's a complete list out there that talks about which games have both, you know, additional audio via hardware and then via like the software sound channels. But I think that the AVS is supposed to be able to reproduce all of those provided you feed it the right cartridge i guess is what it is it was i was i did a quick test on my stream a couple months ago where i was comparing because what i have a repro cart of gimmick there's no way i'm gonna pay like 300 dollars for the famicom cart Mm -hmm. but i have a repro cart where they've actually put in the additional sound hardware on the repro board but the way to get it to play for me and is odd because i have an rgb modded original nes but the u.s fam or the u.s nes it doesn't have support to play back the audio channels for these carts. So I actually bought, there was this guy who created a mod, or it's a little add-on board. You actually plug it into the bottom of the NES because on the bottom of the original NES, there's this expansion port that they never used for anything. So this modder, he found a way to basically build this board that would restore those audio channels. So it was similar to like the original Famicom. So I put in my gimmick card in there but then i found out that whatever rgb mod i have it rerouted the sound so i couldn't get the gimmick sound i had to pull out an original nes that's not rgb modded and then i was able to get the gimmick sounds to go through so it's a really big process so hopefully for you at least on the avs you won't have these issues because you know how how big of an issue is the sound like is it is it a is it a noticeable difference when it's not playing correctly? Well, for Castlevania three, it's not a big deal because it was additional sound layered on top of the existing soundtrack. So if you put it in an NES, look. So if I put my Famicom um, Akumaju Densetsu, the Castlevania three cart, if I use a Famicom adapter and put it in my NES that doesn't do the sound channels, you just basically don't hear the additional sound. But for gimmick, for whatever reason, they actually separated the channels so that you hear sound effects on one of the additional channels. So for gimmick, it's almost, it's not unplayable, but it really is a different experience because one, you're missing additional sound. That's part of the music, but then you're also missing like the jumping and the shooting sounds, which is a big deal to me. So it kind of depends on what the game is doing with the additional sound. So what, what do you think the chances are of an authentic Famicom gimmick cart actually working on the AVS? Do you think that would work if it's not a repro uh, on a, USNES cart? From what I heard, 
you're the avius is supposed to be able to hear the playback on both types of cards whether it be the original famicom cards in addition to these repo cards that have added in it it's supposed to it's definitely supposed to play them back now how authentic and how close it is that's the thing i was like most concerned about it so as it well, is i guess it's time to track down somebody that has an yeah. original authentic gimmick cart and it's finally find yeah, it's finally time for you to buy gimmick i guess huh that's like one of my dream nes or famicom games to own one day you know it, it really I, I would just have game. to it's do a, some it's kind a, of crazy trade yeah, it's a great game too. So it's definitely, unfortunately, you know, it's going to be one that's going to, you're going to probably have to grab the real cart somewhere down the line. I mean, it's it's an amazing looking game, amazing sounding game. Uh, it sure as hell looks hard. Like I've watched people speedrun that game before, and it's just a spectacle to watch people speedrun that. It is amazing to watch people play that game on a high level. If, have you ever seen a speedrun of Gimmick? Well, I know that when I play the game, because if you play the game normally, it's not that bad. It's not tough. But I heard like people in the in my chat when they were talking about the speed run, they were saying how they do all this weird like star riding where they. Oh the, god! It is bovine. It is insane. <laughs> it is insane what these speedrunners do. They throw the star mm-hmm. and they like get it just right, so they they pretty much like ride the star throughout the game. They're that, not even like running and jumping. They're just star riding the whole way through. It's just insane the tricks they do and i just you know now that i've tried and and especially the nes stuff now like it is just unbelievable what those people are executing in the speed runs of that yeah i want i mean i want to watch one after i play the game but as it was when i tried it myself like i just tried to throw it and jump on it to jump higher which is a cool mechanic in itself but even that was tough i'm like i I can't even see how people can use imagine replicating that the whole entire game (laughs) it's fun So, so yeah i mean um in terms of your AVS, I mean, like I think one of the best ways should you should just maybe start out with buying I don't know Castlevania three in the Famicom and just see if the sound channels come in properly. I think that'd be the first not as expensive test. Just I'll try and track down someone that has gimmick and and just ask them directly and see what they say. Um, and have the the AVS and play these games. It, it, it looks like emulation for sure. Like people that come into a stream. They're going to think I'm emulating because it just looks that crisp and that that clear. Um, I'm not sure if there's input delay. I don't know if there would be because it's HDMI out, right? So for those of you that don't know what the AVS is, it's just it's a, uh, HDMI out. So that's the reason why this thing is more affordable version of the analog. Um, what do they call it? The analog? The analog NT, right? In the mini NT. system. Yeah, so that's that's like a higher end. I don't know what the hell that thing has that would make it more expensive, but this is a more affordable version, which I think is probably with shipping and tax or whatnot, if there is tax, like 280 to 200 for this thing, I would imagine, the AVS. Um, I don't know if there's input delay. Do you think there would be if it's doing HDMI out into an HDTV? I think the only input delay you should be getting with that kind of setup would be if your TV has any post-processing. So the only input lag you should see would be based on your TV. From what I've heard, I mean, it shouldn't... And it's weird, right? Because since it's HDMI out only, there's no such thing as an HDMI display that has zero input lag. So I don't know how they've been able to verify or test that. But I don't think it's supposed to be that bad from what I've read. I mean, when I was playing Bucky O'Hare, I didn't really notice any glaring input delay issues. And that game requires some pretty precise platforming, which... Um, that's one of the games I wanted to talk about today was was Bucky O'Hare. Uh, for any of you that remember, it was that show from the 90s where it was that green space rabbit with his 
little blinky robot friend and a couple of other characters that I vaguely remember watching when I was younger. I do remember owning the toys and figures for it, uh, and they were some of my favorites. So this this is a Konami game that has gotten pretty pretty rare and expensive. From what I understand, I think a video was done by maybe like Angry Video Game Nerd or somebody that drove up the price in like yeah, the last year. It wasn't year, Angry Video Game Nerd. It was because ne- I don't think he's gone through and done that game. So someone else must someone have else really did. pumped it up. Yeah, someone in my chat mentioned, oh, did you get this game before the price hike? And I was like, oh, no. And I just assumed it would be something such as that. Because anytime Angry Video Game Nerd does a video on any kind of NES game, the prices just skyrocket. So I just assumed that's probably what it was. I know. Did you um, see the Did you see the latest example? I think it was him and Mike Matei. They played through Kabuki Quantum Fighter. Thank God I bought that game. <laughs> and my, I mean, that game was sitting at... It was one of those cheap pickup ones. It was just like a $5 game. And I swear, like within a week, that game has jumped to like $20, $25 already. I, I just Wait, can't when did they effect. do this video? Um, a couple, maybe a month ago, I think is what it was. Good. Yeah, because I bought that game complete at a convention last year. And I paid like 35 complete in the bucks. So I guess I lucked out. <laughs> you got it right before. sure complete now that game's going to be a lot more. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I played through Bucky and man, God, like I had plans of speedrunning that game. I, I bought it initially because I'm like, you know, this would be a great introductory NES speedrun game for myself because it's got great music. Um, it's really fast paced because Bucky and his other host of characters move really fast. It's it's definitely challenging. Like I wanted something that's somewhat challenging for a speedrun game. Um, it's it's an incredibly technically impressive game because there's almost no slowdown, no flickering. It's just like a powerhouse of an NES game. And then I played it loved it but holy shit is that game hard like it lives up to its reputation it i remember it making many like top 10 like if you search like hardest nes games that game is typically in like top 10 lists of the hardest games on the entire system i'm like i watched the videos of the speed runs just to see and i'm like eh, they, it doesn't look that hard right <laughs> my god no that game is brutal it's uh it's just incredible like the execution of certain jumps and in terms of just bullet placement enemy movement it's just it's an it's it's a really really fun game and I highly recommend it. Um, unfortunately, a cart of that game you're not going to get any less than like a hundred dollars. Yeah, like one hundred and twenty um, I think is the average for a loose cart right now. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's that's a little bit of a tough sell, honestly. Um, kind of an kind of an odd mechanic though, right? Where you can just because if anyone doesn't, I mean, as you go through the game, you will unlock characters that you can use their abilities on. So, you, but the weird thing is what you hit select to swap on the fly and it just instantly yeah. switches the sprite for the character. It's kind of strange. Characters, I believe five characters and you hit select and it switches between all of them. So it's got a progression system where you visit four different planets and depending on which planet you visit, you unlock a different friend. There's definitely an ideal progression through it where you want certain friends um, before others, or you might not even just be able to progress at all. But then you just hit select and you switch between them. They all have different abilities and special abilities and different shot types. Um, some of them are much more useful than others. Like Jenny, she uses this orb that you power up and you can pretty much one-shot bosses if you know how to use it <laughs> properly. Uh, really cool mechanic that I don't know if any other NES games use something to that caliber where you just switch on the fly in a platformer. 
Yeah, because I'm not an NES expert, though. Yeah, I mean, because Little Samson has something similar, and then right, I, I mean, remember someone saying that there was a lot of other games that have that ability. Of course, where you pick up abilities, but you usually had to select them in a menu, or there was some transition, like as you go from your existing mm-hmm. character to a new character. I mean, I guess it's no different than a game where you would have abilities and then you switch items. But even then, right, a lot of them didn't do it on the fly. I just thought that was a very weird thing watching that because you would just be walking as Bucky, and then you you suddenly turn into like the robot or the girl. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a, it's very seamless, which also makes the game really hard to speedrun because there are times where you gotta like within half a second switch from one character and hit select five times to switch to the other. So it's pretty intense. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, I, I decided to not speedrun the game because it was just the amount of time I'd have to dedicate to learning that is just way too intense. Um, so yeah, great game, definitely recommend it. Uh, I played many other games um, on my AVS as well, um, but the only other one that I really wanted to highlight right now is. Uh, Yume Penguin Monogatari, <laughs> Rogatari, the, the little penguin game, where uh, it's such, it's where you you play as this little, well, I shouldn't say, you play as this fat blue penguin, and I don't know the exact story of the game, but you can kind of piece it together by watching the cutscenes, where he's so fat and he wants to hook up with his pink penguin girlfriends, um, but she doesn't want to talk to him or you know accept him as uh, her boyfriend because he's too fat so what do you do you go through the game and you eat like health supplemental drinks or bottles that make you lose weight and the enemies all shoot like unhealthy candies and foods at you and every time you get hit you gain weight so there's a weight meter at the bottom of the screen that raises or lowers depending on how much food you've taken from enemies and uh, eventually you can slim down to the point where you're like super fast super powerful you can shoot out projectiles however there is a health lesson where if you lose too much weight, you actually gain weight. So if you lower the bar too much, you'll actually put on a bunch of weight. So it's a it's, it's a crazy, cute little mechanic. The the graphics are absolutely adorable. All the character sprites, all the bosses were just so fun to play and, and see how it kind of went. The game is really short. You can beat this game once you know what you're doing in like 15 minutes. Um, the speed runs of it are like under seven minutes. So that just gives you an idea of how wow. short this game can be. Man, I, I must not have been paying attention to any of that because I was I was watching the stream and I was I think it was on audio or watching it on site, but I did not notice anything with the fat until everyone started talking about like bringing up the fat jokes and the fat shaming. So not the most PC correct <laughs> game, that's for sure, or PC game. Yeah, it's uh, like I, I kind of remember that's what the game was about a long time ago when I first found out about it, but I forgot. So when I first started playing the game, I'm like, wait, why am I fat? What's going on here? Like, what is this meter down here? And yeah, it's it's pretty much fat shaming the game where you know you can't get a girlfriend if you're too fat apparently in this game life lessons people this is what you get out of your famicom weird import games that never came over here yeah needless to say this game never came out in america however thankfully this game is not that expensive um if you're going for cart only you should be able to snag a copy for maybe 30 to 40 i'm not sure if the price has gone up Uh, so if you're looking for really cute famicom games and if you picked yourself up an nes avs you can play it in its hd glory um pretty seamlessly <laughs> yeah i think i picked it up during the stream it definitely looked like a cute little game with some interesting mechanics i mean the fact that it was the so short i was initially a little turned off by that but then i thought to myself you know what there are a lot of nes games that have that short kind of playthrough so no big deal. there's a ton of nes games that are you can be in like 10 or 15 minutes uh, i just i picked up one just recently I, I picked up a copy of i haven't gotten it in the mail yet but i picked up ninja crusaders which is a very very short game that looks really challenging as well if you played that one bovine the one we like warp into dragons and tigers and no i haven't i haven't even heard of that one what is it ninja crusaders 
Yeah, it's fairly uncommon, so maybe that's why you haven't heard of it. Huh. Um, a little pricey, but it's it's a game that you can beat probably like a blind playthrough, probably about an hour and a half, two hours, depending. There's five levels, but it's pretty challenging from what I've seen. Speedruns beat the game in in about six seven minutes, <laughs> but wow. that's like high execution levels. Um, so yeah, look into that when you're 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 ninjas that fight against aliens and monsters and stuff awesome. like that, and you warp into tigers and dragons and eagles. <laughs> How could you go wrong with a premise like that, right? So, yeah. um, I picked up a super secret. Game. I don't want to reveal what it is yet, but I'm so excited for this game. It's uh, it's a Famicom platformer that never came to America, but we're gonna we're gonna save that one for for the stream. Nice, it's, it's exclusive surprise. But I'm very excited because it's. Uh, Oh, it looks so fun! I can't wait. Sorry, I was gonna say, cheese. did you did you intentionally decide to pick like the top toughest like NES games for your first no. NES stream, <laughs> or did it just end up that way? It just ended up that way. Like I don't remember every game off the top of my head that I played that day, but man, I was playing some really, really hard games. Um, like Demon Sword, Jesus Christ! Like that game is cool. It's like apparently it's Legend of Kage two before Sequel, Legend right? of Kage two came out on the DS. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it was so hard. It pretty much felt like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon on NES, where you're just jumping through bamboo trees. And I just jumped my way through the entire levels in the sky. It was, it was fun. That's uh, pretty much pretty how Legend of Kage went, too, I think I remember. You just pretty much just jumped. Because jumped, every time you jump, you jump like 20, 30 feet in the air, right? <laughs> you just keep yeah, flying through the trees. It was fun, though. Like, it, was so, it was so fun. But yes, because I, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, but you know, keep in mind, I haven't played NES games in God knows how long since I first got my NES way back um, when I was younger. Like, it's just sort of sat dormant in my collection, and it's kind of great to finally. I mean, unfortunately, it takes an NES AVS to kind of like let me finally appreciate some of these games. But mm-hmm. there's such a library of games that I can't wait to delve into, like Crystallis and Faxanadu, and you know, a lot of the NES platformers. I'm really, really looking forward to playing for the first time and adventure games. Yeah, I mean, and look, so obviously we've been talking about the ABS and your kind of reignition of passion for playing NES and Famicom games. But can we talk, I mean, can we just sit and talk about the NES for a little bit in terms of, I mean, I don't know, the, we wanted to look at a new segment, not a new segment, but basically kind of a recurring topic that we can have on the podcast. And that would essentially be kind of a console retrospect, retrospective where we would just kind of highlight one console and then talk about our individual you know, experiences with it and you know how it was growing up or you know if you didn't grow up with it maybe in your in your case piece like how it came about in terms of your experience with the nes and just your general thoughts on it yeah so my original experience with the nes is uh at my one of my grandmother's houses so uh, my uncle had one and it was his and anytime i went over to visit um i would go down into the basement and play the NES because I didn't have one. So it was around the time when I had my Genesis. Um, actually, before I had my Genesis, uh, you know, I, I would go over to my grandparents' houses and my, my one grandparents, they had a Genesis at the time and the other grandparent, my grandma, she had the, the NES at that house. So I got the best of both worlds <laughs> at the time. <laughs> you had the you had the actual console war happening within your family, it looked like. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, so didn't own one until i was about oh it's hard to really say um i was probably about 13 or 14 when i got it i bought it from a uh, flea market Um, but going back the first time i played it i was probably about i would say um four or five 
is probably like right around when I started playing video games. And I had games to choose from. They had some great quality titles, though, let me tell you. They had Zelda. Um, so I did get to experience Zelda completely blind when I was younger. I had no idea going to that game what to expect. And, you know, because I was so young, I just kind of wandered around the game world having absolutely no freaking clue what to do. But I always found it very... It was like a spectacle, right? Because there was nothing else like it on the NES where it's just like this open world for you to explore. So I just had fun wandering around killing stuff, mm-hmm. never really having an idea of, of where to go. But I feel like that was probably most people's uh, initial experiences with Zelda. And I had games to play like Metroid, which um, I was I was okay at Metroid. To be honest, the game that I liked more than Metroid was Air Fortress, which had a very similar feeling to Metroid. Mm-hmm. However, I just liked the spacey like jetpack setting of air fortress more than metroid did you ever play air fortress Bowen? i did air fortress was one of the games that i believe when i was growing up i didn't have my own copy but you know we would go over to my cousin's house and we would each have kind of like very different tastes in games so whenever he came over there was a bunch of games he can experience that he didn't have and then vice versa and air fortress was one of the games that he had and initially and this is a game that i think a lot of people sleep on or basically term or call a bad game but as a side scrolling or multi scrolling shooter it's actually a pretty decent game and i thought that for one of those games that you know for, on the surface may not look like much it actually contains a fair amount of gameplay and is a pretty decent game and more people should check that one out yeah i'm gonna revisit that's gonna be fun for me to revisit because i haven't played that since i was really young so uh, I just remember the music being very, very memorable, and I do remember the game being challenging. Uh, I also played games such as Fester's Quest, <laughs> which I have the original copy of because my uh, I my aunt actually gave me the uh, the original copy that I played back then. So I've got it like a mint complete Fester's Quest, nice. which I really liked back then. I don't know what it was because I like monsters and stuff, so I I kind of thought it was cool to play Fester's Quest with all these weird monster alien type monsters. I don't think I ever game because that game was insanely difficult yeah generally it's Um, regarded as one of the more difficult ones in terms of frustration not in terms of gameplay but just some of the things that can kind of you can get trapped at have the wrong weapon i mean obviously most people know from you know the angry video game nerds video but i mean i think i mean it has a sunsoft music the graphics were great the gameplay was pretty i mean it was pretty decent for an overhead shooter i mean it's a game that you know it's one of those ones that gets treated a little bit unfairly i think out there that one like it's going to be so fun to revisit some of these nes games that i only have memories of playing when i was younger and kind of maybe getting a new perspective on them uh for whatever reason i remember really enjoying the three stooges on nes as well that's a Uh, great game is it okay i wasn't (laughs) sure if that game was regarded as a good or bad i just remember really liking it when i was younger i mean i like it because one they use really large sprites and detailed Mm -hmm. graphics in that game i mean they're really it boils down to a bunch of mini games but i think between like the type of visual style they use and then those pretty good voice samples and the sound i mean i thought i like that game I, i really do because it really looked it wasn't like a cartoony take on the three stooges they actually used like really large portrait character sprites and the mini games they all look different from one to the other but all of them kind of share the same detail graphic look there was a there was a pie throwing mini game in that right i have memories of that. yeah pie throwing there was a soup eating mini game right, right. i remember that that's <laughs> really fun i don't stuff. have that game though i'll have to, I'll have to track down a copy um, yeah it's a, but of I course think- they had Oop, go ahead. No, I said I think it's a pretty cheap game. I mean, you know, these days I always got to do a double check just to make sure, but hopefully it's still affordable. I would imagine. Um, of course, they also had uh, 
Mario Brothers, Super Mario Brothers. Hmm. But, you know, the one, the best one was Super Mario 3, thank God, that they had that one. I used to play the heck out of that game. I never beat it when I was young. Like, that that game is crazy hard when you're playing it as a kid. Yeah, it is. It, it has advanced techniques that you wouldn't normally associate with the game around that time, which is why it was so groundbreaking. But the the strange thing is, so that's weird. How old was your uncle then when he was collecting and buying these games? Was he like in, in his like tw- like like thirties? He wasn't like collecting. You know, I never really asked like how he originally. I think it was just theirs from childhood, and they just hung on to it. But they they're the type where. You know, they kept the boxes completely mint. Nice. I mean, they, did you have cousins? Like, did they have kids that they were playing? Or was no, it their system? No. It was pretty much just there for when, like, I would come over or my other cousins would come over and visit to play. Mm-hmm. They weren't playing it. They were just kind of keeping it as a nice collector's piece. It was more of like a display piece, right? You'd go down in the basement. Their basement was very well kept. Um, so you'd go down in the basement. And it was sort of just like a showpiece next to the TV. And then you have the cabinet. You'd open it up, and it would just be this cabinet full of mint, complete, wow. minty, fresh inbox NES <laughs> games. Do they still have all those games? Um, Some of them. Yeah. yeah. It's not, like, hooked up in the same way it used to be, but they do still have some of them. Um, that's really cool. I mean, yeah. and it's weird because, so you said you were around four or five. And that's weird because if you were around four or five, I had just assumed based on our age difference that, you know, obviously you didn't grow up with the NES in your own youth. But in a way, you kind of played it at the same time frame in your life that a lot of us who grew up with the NES was at around the same age. I couldn't appreciate it at the same level, obviously, because I only got to play it very intermittently. Like, I, yeah, intermittently, like it visits to you know, the house, but I still would play the hell out of Super Mario Brothers 3 when <laughs> I'd go over there, you know, um, copies myself, but I don't think it's the same when you get it all those years later, you know, um, playing them when those games were still relatively somewhat new mm-hmm. made a pretty big difference. Um, but that, I mean, that's mostly my memories with the NES. Eventually, you know, I would stop going over there to play NES stuff once in a while and then I'd reacquire it years down the line. Um, well, I was going to say, but so NES, from, from being four or five playing it at your uncle's place, and then you fast forward to what age then when you picked it up at the flea market? How old were you back then? I think I was probably about 12 or 13. Mm, okay. Actually, because the reason why I picked it up was mostly when I was, and I can kind of nail this down, is when I was really getting into the collecting side of games, like when I discovered Digital Press, their website, and when I was like, oh, you know, I realized I was a collector because I had all these games that I had still had all the boxes for. And, you know, I appreciated older games. And then I found Digital Press's website and everybody else's collection photos at the time. There were no videos. It was just collection photos, really. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, you know, I want to get an NES for myself. And then that's right around because I, I discovered Digital Press when I was 13-ish or so. So I would imagine that I got my NES around 13 or 14. And then so when you were collecting that, well, I guess for you at that point, yeah, that was the second the second time around in your life with the NES collecting the games. So did you did you jump right into the library when you were collecting and playing all those games or were you just straight up collecting them and kind of setting them off to the side? Like how was the experience that second time around with the NES games? Well, 
the first problem that I ran into was the NES that I got from the flea market. The pin connector was absolutely destroyed. Uh, okay. So I didn't even get to play my NES when I first picked it up. Um, none of my games would work, so that was my first <laughs> ever attempt to try and repair a console. I had to order a 72-pin collector on eBay. Wow. And those things, when you order a fresh one, my God, it almost like destroys your cart because it they're does. so hard to get the cart in and out. But I, I, I just... Um, I concentrated on cart only and pretty much whenever I'd go to a yard sale or a flea market or whatnot, I would dig through the bins of NES games and just pick out whatever looked cool for the most part. Uh, or a couple of recommendations from like the digital press form. I remember one time though coming across this game. Uh, yeah, it was so weird. I, I really, I honestly, I really regret not picking this up because I, I never will know if it was some kind of reproduction, but it was so long ago. I don't even think reproductions were a thing on NES, but I remember at a flea market, somebody had a copy of Drax Night Out. Now, that's Ooh. a game that was never released in mm-hmm. memory, sir. Right? That's just like a prototype game that was pretty much completed, right? I think, but it just never released. And there was a copy of that at a flea market with a cart, like a label on the cart, from what I remember. That's the only thing that makes it a little iffy for me is because it had a, a label as though it was meant to look like an actual NES game, but people were really not... Back then, it just wasn't a thing on NES unless someone really went to that length to make an NES reproduction of Drax Night Out, and I always regretted it because I never picked it up, and who knows, it could have been potentially like some kind of prototype for that game wow. um, that had a label. Who knows? And I, oh, man. For that, one of those early regrets, I guess. <laughs> uh, I mean, I've I've never. Now, have you seen that game, Drax Night Out? No, I, I didn't even think that there was. I mean, I know that there's a ROM out there for it, but and it looks like it's like what a single screen clearing style game, right? I can't remember. All I know is it had a Dracula on the cart cover, <laughs> um, and that's that's about all I can remember about that game. I wonder if, I mean, do you remember if the label would look like a professional style label or was it some idiot who just drew a label and slapped it on a card? I don't remember it looking professional. Like it kind of looked a little amateurish, mm-hmm. but still that could also mean that the, the prototype could have had just like a, like a placeholder label, label or something. Up. Yeah. I'll always regret not picking it up. Wow. Missed out. Uh, yeah, That's pretty much it. And I never really got NES once I had finally owned one myself. Like I played some of the games, but it was a little difficult for me because at the time I was still just really into like PlayStation, Nintendo 64 around that time. And I just wanted to concentrate. I was kind of like dabbling in many systems, right? Mm-hmm. So I was dabbling and seeing what I was most into. So I was picking up like Atari 2600, NES, um, Genesis, Super Nintendo, like everything under the sun to kind of see what I was into. And I don't know, I just kind of always gravitated away from the NES stuff. Um, which is very cool. The Genesis, I mean, and I it's guess. cool now, right? Now that you have the AVS, it seems like, well, at least from what I've seen so far with the games you're playing, I mean, I mean, I always assume based on our age difference that you, you know, you grew up in the Genesis era and that the NES was something that came later on in your life. I hadn't even realized that you actually had a chance to play it when you were young. So it's kind of cool that one, you had that initial experience, but based on like more of where you grew up in the in the era of 16-bit stuff, how the NES stuff had just kind of been on the aside for you. So now, when you were playing it with the AVS, they're going to be like a lot of them are going to be essentially brand new experiences for you playing them now, right? Uh, pretty much everything in the NES library. Yeah, I mean, even games like um, you know, outside of like Mario Brothers three years old, like pretty much anything outside of those two games will be um, a fresh 
unique. Like even when I go back to something like Air Fortress, which I have a lot of memories playing when I was younger, I'm still going to be pretty much blind. It's not like <laughs> I remember that game in and out or yeah. what happens in the game from all those years ago. So, yeah, it's going to be pretty fun revisiting it. And many, many years ago, I bought a big lot of carts on eBay yep. for NES, yeah. like 200 carts for like $200 or something completely ridiculous. That video is um, one of your highest view ones, I think, right? probably people love those pickup videos. but you know the funny thing is from that lot i never played a single one of those games <laughs> um it was pretty much the nail in the coffin i just realized damn this is way too overwhelming and um you know i just have no interest in playing and that was pretty much the last time i ever bought something for the nes up until recently uh and that was the last time i really played anything for the nes and then i sold off all the carts but then i I, I reawakened when I realized NES boxes and cover art. Mm-hmm. So the thing that kind of got me back in the NES was just the fun of collecting at least boxed NES games. Just because I I love looking at the cover. I know I don't want to get back on this topic again that much, but <laughs> that's what people are probably like. But Pete, why are you getting in the NES now? It was just freeing myself of my cart only collection which was pretty damn big i have to say i probably had about 300 carts mm-hmm. um of nes stuff i sold off pretty much everything except for some of the essentials like mario zelda's couple of the shooters that i might revisit that might look cool i sold off everything else so i maybe got about 20 30 carts right now um but then i just started collecting complete in box and it's just been so much more fun i just cannot if you, if people don't understand it like i just can't explain how suddenly going from cart only to boxed can really change my perspective on a system because just being able to look at the box read the back of the box to pump myself up to play the game looking at the cover art flipping through the manual uh, and it also makes me appreciate the game that much more because if i do have to invest or trade something valuable for my collection to get an nes game that might be a bit more uncommon or expensive it just makes me appreciate the thrill of the hunt and owning such a rare piece in my collection a bit more so that I might be uh, you know more inclined to kind of maybe give it more time so for example if I buy a $10 NES cart I can play it for 20 minutes and be like eh whatever flip it aside but if I have the complete copy of that game I, I don't know what it is I just feel sort of more inclined to give it a second uh, a little bit of a longer look a few dollars because you feel more invested into your purchase you know, it's almost as though you bought the game the when it came time. out. Like, right. <laughs> so imagine buying an NES game full retail value. You're not going to play that thing for 10 minutes and toss it aside. Hell no. <laughs> you put a lot of money into that game. You're going to be sitting down. You're going to be spending an evening not like forcing yourself to play it and also not like forcing yourself to maybe enjoy it, but looking at it in different ways to kind of find potentially good aspects about it, even if it's not the best game you've ever played. Yeah, you're looking at a way to appreciate no. a purchase of a full game, basically, yeah, like it, like it yeah. was in the original days. Right. Mm-hmm. Or if you pick the cart up for a couple of bucks, you can just toss it aside and be like, ah, whatever. And then maybe, you know, there's some hidden depth into the game or stuff about the game that gets better over time that you wouldn't have found out if you, you know, just tossed it to the side or moved on to your next emulated ROM or something, you know? So how many NES games are you at now in terms of the complete, uh, on oh, the complete side? Oh, wow. I wish I can see offhand here. I would probably say, like, are you back at that three hundred number or? Oh, complete! Oh yeah. God, no. Ooh, 
Wait, you thought I had 300 complete NES games, Bobine? No, no, no. I'm sorry. I, I didn't know where you were at, honestly. I just remember you had your original loose collection at around 300, so I didn't know how much you had built up on the complete side. <laughs> oh, yeah. I sold off all, almost all the loose ones. So my loose carts are down like 20, 30. Hmm. The complete side is like 35-ish, 40, I would say. Ah, complete that's, bucks. that's a quality collection then, obviously. See, but I feel like I'm cherry picking, right? That's the thing I like about collecting complete in box as well is I have to be more selective in the games I buy because mm-hmm. it's cart only. You know, you have more of a world open to you, whereas complete in box, you know, it takes more space. It's more money. So I feel like when I buy an NES game, it means something. I'm not just buying it because it's cheap. <laughs> you know, I'm buying it because I want that game in my collection because, you know, it's more of an investment and also takes up a lot more space. So I feel more attached to my NES collection than I ever have in the past. And I think that's kind of what killed NES collecting for me was that lot I picked up was so big that it just got overwhelming. And I didn't feel any like, attachment to those games because I had so many of them at once. Whereas now when I'm buying complete in box, I'm going to conventions, right? And I'm like, I'm picking up a game and I'm looking at the box. I'm reading the back of the box. And I'm like, you know what? This sounds cool. I'm going to add it to my collection. And just that little thing right there so much more to me because it feels because I'm so sort of oblivious to a lot of the NES collection not Mm -hmm. all of it but a lot of it I'm pretty oblivious to so when I find a game and I'm picking up a box and holding it in my hands and reading the description on the back of the box it really feels like an old school experience of being in a Funko Land or an EB Games or something similar where you're buying games just based on what you're reading on the back of the box. And <laughs> that's why need, I think I'm really attached to the NES right now. All you need are some VidPro cards to flip through and try to make, your, make up your mind and see which card, you, which game you want versus the ones you don't. <laughs> card collecting is something that do but man when you try and go for those official vid pro cards for rare games they're just as much money as an actual game yeah i couldn't believe like i mean i understand the draw on those for sure but jesus those things i I just can't believe the prices on those things but you know that's the case with a lot of these things right now so so what about you bovine what do you what's your history with nes i mean obviously for so obviously being a little bit older than you i mean i was able to actually participate in that brand new console experience you know when i was i guess let's see 80 if it was 85 then how old was i seven eight seven or eight years old so seven or eight years old getting the nes so um you know i grew up my first console was an atari and that was a really good experience to have that in my house but you know around that time and it's funny how when you talk about like the video game crash and how it the, you know it basically made consoles obsolete until the Nintendo appeared again in '85. I didn't even realize that that was the case because I just had the Atari. We're buying games, and then all of a sudden, I would walk into the store and I saw this new system, which was the Nintendo console. So obviously, like, oh, okay, so this is just the new console. It was funny as a kid how that that crash didn't even affect me, or I didn't even realize that there was this lull in video mm-hmm. games. But maybe it was because of the age at when I bought the Atari. Because let me see, seventy. Is I feel like I bought the Atari when I was. Five, so maybe it was just at the very late end life of the Atari console, like even maybe even before the crash. But whatever the case, you know, a couple years later down the line, I see the NES console, brand new console. Obviously, I want that. I want to play the new system. I want to get new games. So I do remember picking it up, and you know, I bought the complete set that had the Rob and the Zapper, the Mario Duck Hunt. The Mario and Duck Hunt were actually two separate carts in there, and. I want to say, no, no, I'm sorry. It came with Gyromite and Duck Hunt in the car, in the box, which was a cool thing to have because then you had full use of the accessories. 
No, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm trying to remember now what that original complete set had. I'd have to go back and look. But I remember I, I for sure. I wish I could help you, but I, can't, I have no idea myself. Yeah, no, exactly. But whatever that complete set was, it definitely came with the gun. It came with Rob. And I remember, obviously, that gave me access to Gyromite and Duck Hunt. And I must have just bought Super Mario Brothers by itself. Yeah, that sounds familiar. I think I bought the complete set and then a box copy of Super Mario Brothers original one. So from there, I mean, I just, I mean, I, you know, I grew up with the NES. I, I went through that process of playing the games as they were coming out, going to the stores and seeing the new releases come out, picking up games like Kid Icarus, Metroid, Zelda. I mean, it was just, it was an awesome time because what you're describing in terms of going to the stores and picking out games and trying to very carefully decide, like, should I buy this game based on how it looks on the front and the back? I mean, that entire process was really kind of where everything started for me in terms of my love for video games and obviously the NES was the perfect console for that because growing up with it during that time and going through new experiences with new console releases you know getting Nintendo Power as a free magazine and you know giving me you know insight into games that would be coming out you know started to get me to decide a little bit better on which games I would be picking up based on what I saw in the magazine I mean all these things that you know, define who I am now with video games and as a collector. I mean, it all started with that NES. So, I mean, I definitely grew up with that system. That was my system growing up as a kid. And then going to school and talking to friends on the playground about it, trading, you know, not trading, but letting people borrow games and borrowing games that they had. Like, that entire experience was something that... It's something that means so much to me now. And the games themselves... They still mean so much more to me now. But the funny thing is that what you were talking about earlier, how right now you appreciate the fact that you're buying the games complete, right? Because you're going through that process of choosing the games and based on what you see on the art and flipping through the manual. Like, it's funny because I, I went through that with the original games. But now these days, you would think that would mean I would be more, uh, I would be more on the side of trying to collect compete in box to be able to retain those memories, but it's odd because now, obviously, I collect loose only for, like, NES specifically. One, because the cost of completing box, I can't justify that. But it's right. weird because I can almost just skip that part of flipping through the manual, looking at the book, because I remember all those times, you know, as I was growing up with the games, going through that process. So it's now, it's almost like I can pick up a loose card of Kid Icarus because I remember buying that game originally. I remember having the manual, flipping through it, and appreciating the box art. And it's something that's so ingrained in me that I feel that I can just kind of replace those feelings with my memories of the game back then and just, you know, pick up a loose card and still kind of retain those feelings. So See, I think it I think it finally makes sense to me now why you're very much into the, the loose card collecting. Do you think it also has something to do with the fact that because you remember owning your original copies, complete in box, that if you were to buy one now, complete in box, it doesn't feel right because you know it's not your original complete box copy yeah i mean i guess that is a big that part of it to do with it yeah i mean and even it's weird because you would think for games that i didn't have back then like for example i didn't buy an original copy of i don't know pick up a, like i didn't no i bought kiss three i didn't buy an original copy of double dragon three for example so but i remember playing that game i either rented it from a store or borrowed it from a friend but you're right if i were to go out now and pick up a complete inbox copy of double dragon three it wouldn't mean that much to me because maybe you're right maybe that experience of what i had before it just would feel like an artificial version of that same process i had back then which is why i'm okay with kind of removing myself from that part of the process you know the second time around now so that's an interesting which, point i never thought about that way 
another kind of topic that would kind of branch off and an idea of this is let's just say that you had the the chance to be Miyamoto right mm-hmm. so if you were going to bring him a game to have signed I would bring him Super Mario 64 because that's probably the most influential game that he's made for me personally mm-hmm. um, now I can go out and I can buy a nice mint complete copy of Mario 64 non-player's choice or whatever and bring it for him to get signed but what I would rather do is bring him my copy which the box is not in the best condition why? Because that's my copy. It just mm. wouldn't feel the same if I had someone else. I mean, someone else's box signed by him when I can have mine, which, of course, the value would not be as great. You know, that's just another example of sort of like that attachment to original copies of your games. And I guess maybe that's why for me with the NES, it's maybe that's why I feel so compelled to complete uh, buy a complete box, because mm-hmm. I never had that experience with NES specifically where I was able to look at the boxes and it's sort of rekindling that feeling for me now where I get to do it for the first time. You know, of course that's out in the wild at like conventions and stuff, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I guess it doesn't, but then at the same time, stuff like Genesis, right? Um, well, maybe for me, maybe this is why I'm so into complete in box because over the years I've kept everything for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, so I never had that feeling of having these games complete selling them off or having them get lost or traded or, you know, parents sell them off or whatnot. And then you just get loose because, well, you know, it's just not the same for you to have someone else's copy. So maybe that's why now when I get a complete box game, because I've never owned it in the past. For you, it's a continuation of your current collection, it looks like, or it sounds like. It's more like my copy because, well, I never had it in the past. So maybe that's sort of like the thinking. I I would love for like a psychologist or something like that to really do an in-depth study about what it is about collectors, (laughs) video game collectors. And just, you know, not just video game collectors, but you can say this for for many collectors of things that have, you know, things that you can piece out where it's like the cart, the manual, the box. Mm -hmm. You know, comic collectors, I guess you can't equate it to that where it's, you know, I guess it's just the condition. It's not like you're going to miss the cover or something. I don't think people are collecting comics without covers. But... You know, I would love to see a, a real study into the, the thought process of why some people just... It's probably really simple, though, right? It's just... It, it has to be nostalgia for... I don't know what it is. So well, I, we thought it was, I thought it was simple until listening. you just well brought up you know what we were talking about now. You're right. I mean, I hadn't even thought about why it doesn't matter to me. About compl- I keep telling myself it's a price thing. It's like, oh, I don't need the cardboard. I mean, I really... I've talked about this before, obviously. I want manuals. I would love manuals, but to, to buy a card and a manual without the box it just seems dumb right because it's even harder to to piecemeal it up together like that then might as well just get a completing box copy because i really love the i love that original feeling of flipping through the manual and having it available for reference even today when i do get games with manuals i mean it's they really mean a little bit more to me just because i have it but then that that next step of getting the box it's like i don't care and you're right maybe this whole thing about love lost and never getting it again right buying the game for the first time going through kid icarus and if i buy another box copy of kid icarus today it just doesn't mean anything like you said because it wasn't my original copy i had never thought about that till you just mentioned it and maybe that is exactly why i decided that loose is okay with me now because it's just i know i'm not going to be able to recapture that original feeling second Mm -hmm. time around which is why i'm so probably one of the biggest regrets that i've ever had is i sold this is years and years ago when I was younger and I just wanted, you know, money on eBay when I was like really into selling on eBay. Mm-hmm. I sold my original ColecoVision, which was my dad's. And it was in, you know, not that great a shape. It, it, it was, you know, used over the years and whatnot. It was a good shape, but it was, uh, you know, obviously in, in used condition. So I sold that 
and now I have one that is like mint condition, pretty much untouched, but it's just not the same. It really is not the same. I would rather have my original console condition that I had it in than this new one. So I guess it transitions over to games. But I, I think even on a deeper level, right? I think it's also let's get real deep here, right? So <laughs> so I'm all deep in the complete box, right? I'm all into complete in box. Mm-hmm. But why is it that I collect Game Boy Loose? Now, price, of course, yes. The price is certainly a reason why I collect Game Boy Loose only. But on further thought, so the reason why I was really jealous of people that collected Game Boy Loose and I'm like, damn it, why can't I just rewire my brain to accept the fact that I don't need these games complete and I want them loose? So how did I transition? It has to do with when I was at conventions, right? It was the sound of people digging through a bin through these cartridges. And so satisfying to hear the cartridges like clinking and clanking together and like <laughs> digging through this bin. That is like the, the trigger. I'm like, I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to experience the sound of digging through a bin and hearing these carts like clink and clank together. That it's not even just the boxes themselves. It's like the experience of just... And my thought is eventually once I get a really big Game Boy collection, I'm looking forward to when I can line them up in a line in like a, a long box and kind of just like flip through them and the flip sound them of Game Boy Index cards. card hold style. On, hold on right now. Where's, <laughs> let me simulate it for you right now. Right? So just being able to hear. Right? That is a beautiful sound. Like that just sounds so cool. Right? Ready? <laughs> ASMR. Quiet. But, on, quiet. We got to tingle the senses for everybody there we go <laughs> so that's what i'm looking forward to hearing one day when i have this huge collection of game boy carts being able to flip through them like a like a file folder or something so that's funny right because Whereas, you've associated this process and, and again I mean, we're not going to dive into game boy retrospective but i mean so you grew up you didn't grow up with an original game boy and buying those games then right either or did you um my real game boy experience started with Game Boy, Game Boy Color. The original yeah. Game Boy stuff, I had some original Game Boy stuff, but that wasn't until I had a Game Boy Color. I never had an original Game Boy. I played that at a friend's house. Like, they had the Super Game Boy and whatnot, but I never really had an original Game Boy experience until See, so now, later on. Now, to dig, de- dig deep now back into the psychological aspect of it, maybe that what you were describing, this idea of shopping for loose Game Boy cards and you know flipping through them at, and digging through bins of them at at conventions maybe that is now what you're building up as your association with game boy it's one of those memories that you're setting together now at this point in your life and associating that with game boy games which is why you know lose is now okay with you because you're kind of starting out you know with this as your experience for shopping for game boy games maybe that's part of it i'm not sure so so let's get over the hurdle of why is it now that I can't collect loose NES? So why is it that I want complete? And I think the reason is NES cards for me, the the art is um uh what's the word I'm looking for here? Cropped. So the cart is mostly gray, right? So it's kind of somewhat boring to look at in some aspects. Now I don't want to try like NES cards, they look cool and all, but at the same time, when you have those things all lined up on a shelf it's really hard i don't i don't want to say the wrong things here and have people like <laughs> quoting me on this years from now but it just looks aggressive i guess is the way to think of it because the spine is so small whereas if you have it complete in box you get that full colorful spine like kid nikki for example i was drawn to the box of kid nikki because it was this hot huge, pink hot pink <laughs> 
like 80s yellow, fonts. Hot pink, huge yellow lettering, right? Yeah. And at the box, you get to see a larger version of that incredible box art on Kid Nicky. Whereas if you have the cart, it's so scaled down, hard to see. The, the, the label on the spine of the cart is just not the same as seeing that big, huge, bright neon pink spine in a box and when you have all those boxes lined up together on a shelf it's just every time i pass by it i always just look at it i'm like god that just looks so beautiful (laughs) and i'm not like i'm not like just i'm not here like i don't don't know what the word is that i'm looking for it's not like i'm trying to um minimize like the impact i'm not i'm not looking at my collection as simply like a collector's piece we're just sitting on a shelf obviously i play games but being able to pair just that that joy of being able to look and appreciate my collection on another level and also be able to play and enjoy them you know i've always been a visual person right yeah i've always been a person that i loved art when i was younger i always loved very artsy things like films and drawing and um, I'm, i'm a visual learner so maybe for me see these beautiful spines in the boxes on a shelf is really the cart only just doesn't do it for me. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe just that plain old gray cart with the small little labels just doesn't do it for me the same as uh, the beautiful spines on NES, which makes sense now, right? Why do I love 3 ds so much? <laughs> because the boxes are huge. They're I get enormous. to appreciate double. <laughs> I get to appreciate double the box art. This may be well, why you hate Sega Master System games too then, right? <laughs> well, I don't hate Sega Master System, but I will say the boxes on those are probably one of my least favorite because they're just they are so pretty damn plain i mean i get i get that some of them are cool covers but my god i it's probably some of the it's rough some boring artwork I've yeah well it's funny right because you think about it your original experience with the nes games at your uncle's place since they had complete in box with manual everything there i mean that probably you know, maybe had that's what it is yeah yeah because most people toss out the boxes so maybe just that memory of opening that cabinet and being able to see the spines of these games and pick them out that way and dig through the manuals and the styrofoam inserts and the plastic that's in there and smell the old moldy boxes, you know, like the smell <laughs> of the boxes, right? Maybe that's another thing. Maybe all of us complete in box collectors, maybe it's all just tied to our senses, right? For me, the audio, the audio of the auditory sense of the Game Boy carts mm-hmm. or the smell of smelling an old musty mildew, or maybe not the smell <laughs> not of <laughs> the smell of, uh, you know, when you have an old game though like a super nintendo game that doesn't smell like moldy mildew like it has that distinctive like old cardboard smell to it yeah maybe it's the feel of you know that matte cardboard you know it maybe it's maybe it's deeper than we've we've all imagined right yeah. so the next actually i want to hear from anybody that's listening an email or just comments sometime why is it that you if you're a complete box collector maybe you've rethought things now that we've talked about it what is it for you that makes you want to collect complete in box now that maybe you've had some time to kind of delve deeper into why that may be? Yeah, I mean, we've always had this discussion. We always have this discussion in my streams, your streams, I mean, you know, about the justification of loose car versus boxes, but maybe we need to look deeper. We need to look deeper into each one of ourselves and figure out what the real reason is. Maybe it's the, the sound of the, the clamps on a clamshell of a Genesis box. <laughs> That snap thing, sound, right? It snaps. Do I have a Genesis box? I have one. Oh, no. I have a, I have a damn cardboard box. Okay, here we go. I have Target Earth, one of my favorite games. Ah, that is definitely a good sound. Hold 
and snapping them back together. I've, I've got I've got a copy of Castlevania Four right here. Are you ready for the sound of a oh a the clamshell Castlevania Four? Oh no no this is this is Super Nintendo. So oh yeah the Super Nintendo okay. the sound of a cardboard flap. Hear that? Oops, I hit the mic. <laughs> Hold on. Right, and then you pull out the the cardboard insert. Ready? The sliding sound. The sliding. The invariable sound of your manual dropping. Maybe collecting video games doesn't even it doesn't even matter. It's it's just all tied to our senses. It's all sense based. (laughs) Smell. Hold on. Actually, smell that bad. But you you know, but hint of mildew. Yeah. (laughs) But one thing you mentioned, I thought it just it triggered something else while we've been talking about this, but. When you, you were talking about buying, say, like, say today, if you were to buy a brand new sealed whatever system, game, anything, does that still qualify for you as a brand new purchase in the sense that you're like, okay, this I'm going to be the first owner of this, so it kind of takes you back to that original kind of sensation of buying something new for the first time? Um, now with buying games is... It's weird, right? Because lately when I buy... like, So you're saying for something like on the Switch or the PS4 or the Xbox mm-hmm. One, I think they call it, right? That's the name of that system? I believe Xbox so. Xbox One, I think, yeah. <laughs> so when I, buy, when I buy games for those systems now, it's really weird. And this has only happened in the last year or two where I buy these games and... Not excited. I don't really feel... I don't feel as excited. I don't feel that sense of attachment that I do to some older games. Typically now when I buy a game and if I play it and I'm like, you know what? This game just isn't for me or it could also have to do with streaming where it's just a game that I know I'm not going to get back around to anytime soon because I'm not streaming it. Or, But I'm, I'm noticing that I'm selling a lot of the games that I buy now as soon as I get them. You are, um, yeah. Because I... All right, here's the thing. I think this has to be it. It's just they depreciate in value too much and it mm-hmm. feels so weird to buy a game at $60, right? You beat it. And I'm really glad that I've overcome this because in the past, kind of sad, when I would look at my Xbox 360 collection and I would think to myself, damn, I paid full price for that game, that game, that game. And I look at them now and the games are worth like 5 to $10. And some of them and probably like, have not been oh. opened. <laughs> some of them, yeah, some of them haven't been opened. Um, but, you know, most of them were I played them. But it's just that feeling of buying these games and then just knowing that a couple of months down the line they're going to be half the value or a quarter of the, of the value. Yeah. And how much more I can do with that money with another game that won't go down in price. It won't make me feel bad for buying something and holding on to it. So and now it's... I kind of reevaluate myself when I buy a new game. It's like, all right, do I ever see myself coming back to this in the future? And if, it, if I say yes, okay, I hold on to it. If not, I say, okay, why do I want to hold on to this game? Is it because I like the packaging? Is it something that I think will be rare down the line and I know I won't be able to reacquire it? So now typically I'll, I'll find myself just selling a lot of my games after I've played them. Um, like Neo, for example, on the PS4, I bought that. Mm-hmm. I played it and then I put it down for a week and I'm like, you know what? I know myself really well. Once I put a new game down for an extended period of time, I know I'm never going to come back to it. So I'm going to sell this game now, get my money back while I can, and feel good about it instead of having pretty much money being thrown out the window. Yeah, I mean, I feel the same way with new games now. Like for the any any current gen console, like if I go buy a PS4 or Switch or you know, if I buy any new game, I mean that feeling of okay, this is I'm buying this game brand new. It's my copy. Opening it up, playing it, there is no excitement. I and I. 
trying to pinpoint where that association is with not being excited about new games the same as I was when I was a kid buying a brand new game and opening it up. Like I can remember games that I bought in my hand first time, like buying Fantasy Star 2 from the store, bringing it home, unwrapping that outer plastic because, you know, the Fantasy Star 2, it was packaged with the yellow hint book on the on the back and it had to be wrapped in plastic to hold it together. Like I remember that so specifically because it was awesome to see one, a Genesis game that was wrapped that, that way with that a book on there, but opening that up and like reading through the, the Fantasy Star hint book, the manual, you know, taking the cartridge and you know, loving it as I did so much because it was one of my favorite games. There is none of that now with new games, and I maybe don't it's just know. how hollow these hollow in the sense of physically and just pack it like just a like a CD. So what I mean by that is, new games these days you buy it, the game kind of assumes that you know what it is, right? So Uncharted, for example, Lost Legacy, mm-hmm. the box on that is so, and this goes for almost a lot of new games they might just put a few words on the back of the box. They show you a couple of screenshots and they're like, your journey begins now or something stupid like that, right? <laughs> they don't tell you anything about the game because why? They assume that you know about the game, which most people do. And I think it's tied to the fact that, well, before I move away from the hollow thing, it also probably has to do with the fact that game boxes now are just literally a, a piece of plastic with a disc and yeah. maybe a paper insert. Whereas back then it was just more heft. The packaging, right? You would read the back of the box. It would have like 10 bullet points. The story of the game. I don't know, maybe it just felt more fun to delve into a game that way when you had something kind of to lead you in on the back of the box. Whereas now, I think another reason why people get less excited about games like that, well, for me and you, is that maybe we know too much about the game. Like Sonic Mania, for example, right? I was excited Mm -hmm. to play it, but at the same time, previews, we, we knew what to expect from that game before we even played it. Last Guardian, you know, yes, I was incredibly excited for that game, but... I, you know, I somewhat knew what to expect going into that game because, you know, I obviously saw the trailers here and there. So I think that's why a lot of the sense of excitement is lost is because we know what we're getting into before we even play these games. Whereas in the past, you're just judging it based on screenshots or what you read in a magazine. Yeah, whatever minor info you were able to dig up or go by, right? <clears throat> so I don't know what it is. I mean, maybe it's just it's getting burnt out on these modern games that just seem to be doing the same damn thing over and over and over and that's why I kind of gravitate towards games like Last Guardian because it's you know it does something against the norm you know that I hate to say it but I am a fan of the artsy fartsy games because I feel like they're the only ones that that try and do something different from the typical shooters and whatnot out there I think what it is is that we've reserved any type of excitement we can build up for games now for only the super triple A quadruple A titles you know, maybe that's what it is. But to throw a wrench into this question, there's one more part of it I want to throw out to you. And that is the one thing I still do get excited about, like really excited, is if I buy a sealed version of an old retro game. Now, that's different than like buying a current game. Now, like, for example, what was it just recently? Like I bought a sealed copy of a Lynx game. Like actually, this was a while ago, but I bought a sealed version of Battle Wheels for the Atari Lynx. And... When that came in and it was sealed and I knew that this was going to be like the first time I own this game, this game is going to be the first time it's going to be owned, like that excitement actually was still there for the old retro stuff that I get sealed new. Because, and again, right, it's going back to what we were talking about earlier, but it, that is the one thing that still can harken back to that period of time for me where I was buying games brand new as they're coming out. Now, obviously, I didn't buy Battle Wheels at the time it was new, but I knew nothing about that game. 
until I decided to buy it. And, you know, for this game, it just happened to be a brand new sealed one that was the same price as a regular open one or loose one. So I figured, why not? I'll just buy a sealed one. And when I got that game and I opened it up and played it for the first time, like all of those feelings just kind of rushed back to me. And, and that excitement of getting a new game that I didn't know that too much about. And it was going to be my personal copy. And that's the only time now I'll reserve myself to a guess buying like complete in box if it's going to be sealed and new. Well, I guess this gives people new fuel to think about why it is that you collect, right? And we want to know your feedback, so let us know. I'd actually be very curious if you guys send us an email. It doesn't have to be a question or anything. Just let us know what it is about you. Even if you want to send in like a quick little voice comment, you know, if you don't feel like uh, typing it out would do it justice, you know, just send us a 30-second, maybe 45-second clip as to why it is that, you know, you collect and we might be able to squeeze it into the show and... uh or at least listen to it beforehand and kind of re-elaborate what, what, what it is that you said. I'd be very curious. Yeah. Think deep, people. Look deep into your soul of your game-collecting soul. Let us know what it is that's triggering your senses these days, the second time around in life, with collecting retro games. <laughs> so speaking of collecting, Bovine, there's something else that I wanted to speak about that both of us have been getting into collecting recently. And uh, I do want to apologize. I think Bovine let me know that my mic was cutting out when I was speaking there. Uh, just real quick. We have to apologize. We, we've tried Skype. It's like Bovine was talking on Skype to me, and I could not hear a damn thing he was saying. So we had to switch back to Discord, and for some reason we cannot figure out. Like Bovine, he cuts out for me. Bovine just told me that I was cutting out for him. We have no idea. We've tried so many different things with the settings in Discord. We have no clue how to fix this, and it's very unfortunate because it, it really detracts from you know our conversations on here so if any of you have any recommendations as to why this may be happening we've tried the noise cancellation we've tried the sensitivity settings we've tried um pretty much everything that is in discord um it still happens so if you know of another program we were thinking like ventrilo or Teamspeak, if those things still even exist because apparently skype and discord just do not work for us and we don't know what the problem is they know it's a retro podcast so they want retro audio problems too apparently so <laughs> Well, anyways, apologies about that. But the next thing that I wanted to talk about is Final Fantasy trading card game because both of us have gotten uh, maybe maybe me a little bit deeper than others, but some of us have gotten pretty deep into the community surrounding our little group of people that are suddenly buying Final Fantasy trading card game cards to play against one another. So um, I don't we we discussed this very briefly. I think on the last episode, I think that's kind of when we were just getting into it. But essentially, it came up through conversation. Uh, you know, if you want to blame this on me, you can blame it on me. But I was like, gee, it would be fun to play a Final Fantasy trading card game. And now suddenly we have a group of people that are buying starter decks, booster packs, booster boxes, <laughs> multiples of booster boxes. Of Why are we even bothering with booster packs? Just go straight up game. box. <laughs> and I have to say that, you know, I was able to play a couple of nights with Pedrino. We did a demo stream where I showed how to play this game to other people. Um, I've had a couple of nights where I played Padrino for, you know, we've, we've probably put in about 10 hours or more of practice games together and it works really well over, over webcam and we're having a lot, we're having a lot of fun with it. Um, and I just wanted to, you know, and extend this invitation out there to anybody that was considering on getting into this. So what we do is we buy the cards, the physical cards, and then we play and discuss the game over Discord. So we have a Discord group. You can contact either myself or Bovine to get a link to it. 
and we just play the games over webcam and it works really well you know you need a decent webcam and of course you need the cards um, but you know we want to get people with starter decks together to play against one another and us, us more experienced players can kind of explain if you're doing things right um, but we've been picking up cards bovine's been picking them up himself i've been picking them up myself i'm getting into the process now of organizing my cards and we have a pretty decent group going i'd say we have what bovine like eight people or so Ten to 12, really getting right, at this point it's all getting close there um, so it's getting to be a pretty good group of people with starter decks. So if any of you are interested in playing, especially if you have never had the chance to get in the card games before, or if you don't have any friends to play them with, or card game shops, or people, you know, if they don't carry Final Fantasy, jump on this group with us and come play. Um, I have to say it's getting a little addicting opening these card packs. It's it's just that... Pete, you're so addicted, you, well, you can't all, wait for other people to open their packs and see the videos there, so... It is it is quite exciting watching other people open packs. I've actually gone on the YouTube because I, I'm no longer buying packs of cards for Final Fantasy because I have everything I pretty much need. So I'm not buying any more packs or boxes or anything. So what I do now, you know what I do now to fulfill my pack opening like need? I go on YouTube and I watch people open packs of cards for shit that I don't even collect. I watch people <laughs> like other boxes. games you don't even play. Yeah, yeah. So I go on there and I watch people open packs for like. Star Wars tops trading cards because the thrill of them opening like a super rare signature <laughs> card is just like uh, just the sound of the the wrappers and the cards. I don't know, it's just so much fun. I mean, so I do that now to get my fulfillment. The Final Fantasy trading card game, and you know, this will be my first trading card or like any type of card battle game. Like I never got into Pokemon or Magic. Like they always seem kind of either either too intimidating or too kiddy for me. So I never jumped into that. So using this as the first game that I'm gonna be going to I'm completely excited. I haven't played a single game yet either. Just the have this, to get on the yeah, the next night that you or me are free, I'll have to kind of like sit down and explain it to you, or you know, or pair you up with another new player and kind of like moderate video and kind of guide you guys. That might be the best thing. Yeah. You would love that part. But as my first experience for trading card games, like the quality of like you're saying, everything, the booster box, the art on the booster box, the packaging itself, the heavy duty foil around the cards, the cards themselves, like everything about this game, it's just. It just glows with quality. It's unbelievable. And this experience with collecting them and, you know, going through them and seeing the foils and legendaries and, oh, it, I can definitely see how this was a very exciting thing. And I, I can't believe I've never got into it before. Probably a good thing. I would be a lot less uh, rich now. Or it, it, makes me, <laughs> it makes me feel like a kid again because I was a collector of Pokemon cards when I was younger. I never mm -hmm. played the game, but I collected them. And I just remember, oh, my God, like this one moment live in my mind where i i had um i had a full like the base set one pokemon cards i needed every single i had every card in the set i even had a holographic charizard but i still needed a holographic blastoise so i went to my local game shop and i bought one pack side was a holographic blastoise no way. i was just <laughs> You know, I was I, my my mom was driving me home, home at the time, and I was just like holding the card out in the window. I don't know what I was thinking, but I was just like so excited to get that blastoise because it was the only card left that I needed in that the whole last set. card. And it was just that memory will forever live with me, and just the excitement of cards and getting the ones that I needed in the hollows and stuff. This just brings me back to those times because I have not bought any cards ever since Pokemon back then. So, um, I don't know. It's been fun. It's just. The, people don't understand the feeling of opening a booster box and going through the packs and just seeing what you get. And when you get a rare card, like I got 
the best feeling I've had with Final Fantasy so far. It's as though they like planned it. They're like, oh, we hear that that Pete Door guy is getting into our Final Fantasy card game. Let's just like give him the luck of getting this box. Where I open <laughs> this box and on my first pack, I pull a foil cloud, which is the most expensive card in the entire series. Of cards. And then pack. didn't you didn't you pull another cloud like a couple packs later too? Yeah, I pulled a second cloud. He wasn't foil, but the foil cloud is worth like fifty to sixty-five dollars, mm-hmm. and then the non-foil is like twenty-five. So they they saw me coming a mile away. They knew what <laughs> box to give me. They knew how to hook since you. Then, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so one last thought that I've had now that I'm not really buying the cards anymore until the new set comes out is something else that I had when I was a kid. I had these fantasy art trading cards where they had like absolutely beautiful '90s fantasy, like high fantasy art from like uh, Boris and uh, the ones that I had when I was younger was from some guy called Tim White. Um, you, I, honestly, I'm not an expert on these, but all I remember is these trading cards looking absolutely beautiful where they have like dragons and sorcerers and all these amazing, really, really detailed art cards. And I'm like, you know, let's go on eBay and see what these things go for. You know what's amazing? Super expensive? Boy. No, they can't even give them away. A booster <laughs> box is like $10 shipped. 36 packs, Bovine. Did you buy it? Autograph card and like um, chase foil cards and stuff like that. They can't even give these things away. Tell I me saw you this didn't, one box. Tell right? me you didn't buy it, Pete. <laughs> no, I haven't bought them yet. Okay. But I'm, I'm highly considering it. <laughs> me that fun because here's the thing. I don't know what to expect in these cards. And there's a whole bunch of series. But you can get like 10 booster boxes for 100 bucks. Can you imagine the and amount of cards? And then just have fun opening these things. <laughs> I'd honestly probably just keep the the full set and keep the autographs and the hit cards or whatever and then just throw the rest up on eBay or something. But you know, just imagine the fun of opening these cards where I have no idea what to expect inside except for amazing artwork. And I've always been a fan of like monsters and fantasy. So I think this might be something fun for me to look into. And incredibly affordable. Like you they can't even you can go on there and you can buy a brick of a set of like ninety, the full entire set for a card series for like five dollars to eight dollars shipped. You know, if if that same psychologist was around from earlier when we were talking about the retro games, this psychologist would probably recommend that you go into rehab because this is an addiction beyond addiction at this point. You're talking about yeah, buying see, defunct card battle games and just for the pleasure of opening them. No, up. no, no. <laughs> These aren't even card battle games. They're uh, they're just straight up trading cards where it's just artwork, very <laughs> pretty. But I, you know, I had them as a kid, so and they're super cheap. Like you can get of these things so cheap and then just put them in a binder and look at them and appreciate them and you know probably never look at them again but i don't know i think it would be really fun to to maybe buy a couple of these and open them up on stream and see if i get an autograph card of some old ass 90s card game that no one not a card game trading card game or collectible (laughs) card game i guess it would be called hey man you don't have to justify it to me please do it i want to see that i want to see the madness on stream (laughs) but wouldn't that be fun opening a box of these cards where none of us know what to expect oh this is the best part oh my god i haven't even gotten to the best part right so you know a lot of our video game box art how it has amazing detail right like golden x2 right cover of that Mm -hmm. or well here's an example i was looking through lots of these on ebay and i'm looking at this artwork and i'm like god damn that looks familiar and then i realize it's a card with the artwork from star control 2 on the 3do nice <laughs> then i i see another card and i'm like god damn that looks familiar so the same it's artist. the artwork for run saber on super nintendo mm-hmm. and then i see another one i'm like my god and it's uh what is it called wizards and warriors on the nes and then there's another one for golden axe 2 
and I'm sure there's many, many more of these buried away. So all those NES games and Super Nintendo games and Genesis games where they had this amazing, highly detailed fantasy artwork, apparently the artists have trading cards of these covers. And it doesn't say anything about like video games. It's just, it's a card with just straight up the artwork on it. No title of the game. And I'm like, oh my God, how fun would it be? I heard there's one for like Splatterhouse as well. How fun would it be? to just dive through these booster boxes of cards and then just pull out a card and we're like, oh my God, that's the cover for so-and-so game. Wait, so there's no association? Maybe I'm lucky enough to get it signed. How so amazing. There's no association with these cards to the video games? It's just the artwork that was used several places, right. essentially? I haven't seen the backs of the cards. Maybe it makes mention, but I think what it is is it's just the straight-up artwork. Wow. Um, yeah, so it's pretty cool. So you can make like a separate little binder of just all video game cover box art. Okay, so now you're intriguing me. That actually sounds interesting. I'll have to look into that. <laughs> that does but it would, it would be fun to kind of dive into a box, right? And suddenly pull out a cover that looks super familiar or artwork that looks super familiar. And you're like, oh my God, that's the cover to say, um, I don't know, crazy look like a Valis game or something. You <laughs> what, never know. What were, what were the name of these cards again? There's all kinds of names. If you just go on eBay and you search for like, fantasy trading cards or something that's um, so strange up. yeah it's crazy though i did not know that i wouldn't have even imagined that art was repurposed but it makes sense right because the original artist commissioned to make those cover arts and possibly mm-hmm. they you know use that artwork somewhere else or had a commission to do other things they weren't just going to get their money from a video game box art they would use it in another medium it's cool yeah so i'm thinking what i'm going to do is i'm going to pick up a couple of super cheap boxes and just maybe spend the stream just cracking these things open and seeing what we can pull out you're going to start a new trend, Pete. Again. <laughs> Where I'm creating another monster. Exactly. Suddenly you're going to have all these groups. We're going to have to open another Discord room just for this trading card stuff. <laughs> you know, Bovine, there is a Nightmare Before Christmas trading card game. Oh, no. Buy no. booster boxes for like $15 and you can you can play it. It's a game where you play like, you know, like, like Final Fantasy or Hearthstone or something magic with Nightmare Before Christmas cards. How many characters exist in that universe to actually warrant a trading card uh, game to be made? That that boggles yeah. my mind. Apparently enough, which is crazy. So anyway, I think uh, I think we're drawn to a close there. We're actually recording earlier in the day than we normally do, which we do have to apologize, um, by the way, for missing last episode. It's just the timing. We record the podcast at like 12 to 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. Eastern. Um, and in some cases, I think we were doing it like 3 in the morning at some times to record some of these episodes. So Eastern, it was just like super rough on me and my schedule. It was just not aligning. So um, last week, it just it was just not possible where it would come to the point where I was just dead tired by the time it came to recording. And we just had to... It, it was just hard. Um, our schedule sometimes just makes it a little tough to record. Um, so rather than like recording on an off day and we, I didn't want to screw up the upload, it would be really weird to like upload an episode, right? Episode like a week and a half later or two and a half weeks later. I just wanted to keep it consistent. So unfortunately missing an episode means going almost a month without an episode, which we hope not to do in the future for now. Um, we're thinking of sticking to a morning schedule. We're recording on Sunday mornings, super early for bovine, (laughs) unfortunately. Um, but a, a pretty decent time for me. So hopefully that will work out better for us so that we don't miss another episode like that in the future anytime soon. Yeah, Pete's the more important person on this podcast, so we got to make sure the schedule works for him. <laughs> just kidding. As much as I want to record the podcast, it's just, it's really, 
really rough to record a podcast when you feel like you can pass out of sleep at any moment. And I don't want to detract from the quality of the podcasts, um, you know, if I'm really tired. So, um, yeah, hopefully you guys enjoyed this morning edition of the podcast. And just wanted to thank everybody for your patience with getting this out. And, of course, for all the, the positive feedback and support that you guys are showing for the show. And, um, you know, keep keep the comments coming. You can, you can find the uh, podcast on SoundCloud, which is the way that we recommend that you check it out. Uh, soundcloud.com slash retro game explorers podcasts um, I completely forgot to check if we had any new reviews but I promise to do that for the next episode um, so thanks to everybody that's left new reviews for us on iTunes I'll read those off in, in the next episode um, you can find us on iTunes as well and we really appreciate five star reviews and whatnot because it actually just uh, for last episode we got pushed into the top 200 video game podcast on itunes which was awesome so that's thanks to you guys downloading and leaving us five star reviews and whatnot so thank you very much and um yeah let us let us know if you have any topics that you want us to cover in future episodes you know maybe you want to pull some weight maybe for the next console showcase that you want us to talk about uh let us know which one it is that you want us to kind of speak on so i think so far bovine we've done engage we've done um nes and sounds about right. Were there any other consoles that we really? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess some I other ones. Think we've got it deep into any other ones to that level. So, in terms of console retrospectives, yeah, I, I like the discussion there. I like the, our own. I like our separate takes on it and our experiences with it. So, for any recommendations on the next ones, like Pete was saying, please let us know because I think yeah, just Engage and NES, kind of an odd pairing, but <laughs> very odd pairing. <laughs> You'll never know what the next console is that we're talking. about so yeah anyway thanks for listening guys and we'll see you in stream and on the next episode thank you thank you everyone for listening and like i said we'll see you in stream